Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Recording. Drew Meredith, welcome to this Two Cents episode on the Australian Investors Podcast. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous because you've got, <laughs> you said you've got some curveballs for me and I don't know what to expect. So. Mystery questions. They're legitimate questions from legitimate people, interested viewers, oh, <laughs> listeners. Shit. Okay, so today we're talking, we're answering questions. If you want to ask a question, you can head to any of the Rask websites. In the menu, there is a, a link or a bit of text that is a link and it says ask a question. You just select the Australian Investors Podcast. We do receive a lot of questions for all the different podcasts. So if you do want to be heard on something else, please select the appropriate one. Or if you're a member, uh, you can select Rask Live as well. Uh, we're going to talk about Domino's. We're going to talk about Macquarie. I think Amcor was one that you got sent through. Yep. Yeah. Uh, those are the companies that I w- we're going to have a lot of focus on as well as Block, SmartPay. Uh, we're going to talk about ETFs, buying an Indian restaurant, <laughs> and <laughs> a few other things. It's actually a bit of a medley. Like we got probably, It probably skews towards listed companies today, uh, which is nice because we've been talking about a lot of ETFs recently. But, mate, what have you been working on lately? What's happened in Drew's universe over the past week? Um, well, I think we've just finished up all those quarterly reviews and naturally there's volatility in the market. So mm-hmm. one of the things I've seen is kind of newer retirees when they're going through that initial uh, investment process, there's quite a lot of nervousness. There's a, a couple of clients that are essentially email me every three weeks asking what's going on with performance. So I think we talked about that issue last week, which was mm. why market returns negative. Yeah. Um, part and parcel with investing. You know, we've had this environment where essentially every market went up for 30 years if you look at it on a long-term basis, but those short periods of time can be incredibly volatile. Yeah, particularly if you're transitioning to retirement, you know that that's a sensitive time for your financials. Definitely. And with the S&P 500 down 22% so far in uh, 2022, it's interesting, it's down 22% in 2022 (laughs) at the time of recording. Uh, So, but with the market down, uh, that's, you know, this is what we talk about sequencing risk, right? Exactly. Like when people transition and they go from accumulation to uh, retirement phase and cash out, cash in, whatever. Um, this is a this is what this is why we prepare. And you've got a finite pool of capital. Yeah. And for a lot of people, you know, a five percent fall would be a year of salary. Yeah. When you consider it in the context of their portfolio, and that's completely unnatural. Like it's not something you've ever felt before. Yeah. 
um, I mean, the the one tool that we use, or I think they're one of the most important things when you're first entering retirement or passive income, whatever it happens to be, is disconnecting market returns from what you're actually investing for, which is generally to generate income from your investment. So what happens on a daily basis is largely irrelevant and noise. If anything, it's going to make you higher volatility will make you make poor decisions. So blacking that out as much as possible and focusing on what your real objective is. In this case, it's generating consistent income mm. for the for the longevity of your retirement. So you just tell people to focus on the fundamentals of the stock market at a time and those types of things, right? Exactly. And and the benefits of diversification and the multiple sources of returns that we're trying to invest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also the fact that income, I mean, the, probably the sleep at night factor needs to be reiterated, which is even if markets stayed 20 to 40% down for 10 years, you've got a whole lump of lower risk assets that you can sell to fund your life, lifestyle during that period as well. Mm. Portfolio construction becomes more important than ever. Yeah, I like it. So um, we've got some questions. Obviously, you've got some questions, some curveballs that we'll be answering. Um, so I'm looking forward to them. Over the past week, uh, I've just been working on through you and Jamie under the bus, um, but it didn't really <laughs> because I was just like, you come into the event and Jamie's like, what event? And I'm like, oh, we're doing an event next month. He's like, you could have given us more than four weeks notice. So I'm like, don't worry, man. It's going to be heaps of fun. Uh, so, I the q and is close to my bedtime as well, it seems. Yeah, like. yeah. That's right. So <laughs> Friday night, a few gins. Um, what could go wrong? No, so the uh, 9th of December in Melbourne, we are doing uh, a little bit of an event. It's very ad hoc, to be honest. But um, I've reached out to some really interesting folks. You don't, you, you, well, you've kind of seen the guest list, TBC. Um, it is going to be interesting. It's going to be like a really, like there's going to be the hardcore investors in the room. There's going to be people there that are like new to this and wanted to get started. Um, so it's hopefully we can fit 250 people into the State Library of Victoria. And there'll also, there might also be an option for members and those types of people to stream. So keep an eye out for that. Is there a backup? Of the stream? No, of, <laughs> of the venue. What if you get 4,000 people? Uh, you just... It's going to be like, I don't know, like one of those football games where you just can't get in. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> we'll just stream it to a pub nearby and you, you can go there. No, it, to be honest, it's as you know, it's really hard. I think we talked about this last week. It's really hard to go from, there's heaps of venues for 100 people. Yeah. In the 250 range, not that many. You go above that, it's like 1,000, it's like 500. There might be a few in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. And they're just so expensive. And when you want to do low-cost tickets and... You haven't really thought things through. <laughs> it's, it's just, I just see like the, the, the value just like, okay. Uh, but it's going to be heaps of fun. I mean, AV costs are exceptional. Like if you can yeah. find a, if you can invest into a business that yeah. rents AV, yeah, incredible business. Yeah, well, I won't name the place, but there was a place that was 20 grand for five hours for the venue and it was 25 grand for the AV system and you yeah. had to use theirs. Yeah. And then they get you, you have to use the on-site liquor licensed venue thing and it's like 12 bucks for a Corona and you're like, this is a joke. But that is, that's business. Um, so that's what I've been working on. Um, had a really interesting conversation this morning with a guy called Ash uh, Ashley O'Connor yeah. from Vesco, who I know you know. It was really interesting. It's coming out in the podcast soon. That's about senior secured loans. Sounds sounds boring. It sounds boring, but it's he was like honestly, I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, really interesting. 
especially the yields that he was talking about and just how he broke it down. It's really cool. So uh, that'll be out soon. Uh, we've got a heap of backlog that we're still getting through. And we just released the episode that you and I did with Will Hamilton. Yep. Which is cool. That's great. Uh, and the next one is Adam Grotzinger, which is more bonds and fixed income. Yep. Newberger. Incredibly Kramer. topical again. Yep. Yeah. So and there's heaps coming out. There's venture capital and founders and whatever in the pipeline. So stay tuned. Let's get to some questions. We're seven minutes in. Uh, did you want to start with these random questions or when are we going to bring those into the mix? I might, I might just slip one in. Every now and yeah. again. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm just going to call this one Frank Lampard because they didn't give us a name. So Frank Lampard says, I bought LIS post-IPO at its highest. The share price has tanked since. Is it ever likely to reach its highest? Question mark. Fantastic question. Neither a Drew or I will profess to have any um, kind of exact science or knowledge on this one. But all I can say, it's got no revenue. It used $3.5 million in the last quarter. It's got $40 million cash on the balance sheet. Um, it's a business that... It's an R&D company. Like yeah. They're trying to create a battery. Yeah. Is it lithium and... Yes. Lithium sulfide, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's very at the speculative end, which means that in this type of market, when things are volatile, who knows, really? It's gambling. Yeah. Um, Frank, whoever you are, um, just this is where diversified portfolios matter. This is where we, you, again, sleep at night factor. You just don't know what you're waking up to with something like this. And particularly what we see, just as an, kind of like a more educational thing from this, you tend to get a lot of companies like this at the top of the cycle, the IPO cycle, if you like. Yeah. Um, you just want to be mindful that when markets are rallying like they were often the quality gets worse as you go and understanding whether something's being sold or bought is probably yeah. important too yeah like who's selling what's going on yeah so i don't really have an answer for you there frank lampard because we don't know the company it's quite small and um it's probably outside of our circle of competence actually that's another conversation i had luke clarative yes. came on the did a recording with him the other day Thanks. talking about all the lithium companies. Yeah. So that's super interesting as well. That'll be out probably in the next week. If you are interested in Vulcan Energy, Lake Resources, Core Lithium, Pilbara, et cetera, keep, in, keep your ears to the podcast. And it's also in video. Okay. Um, the next question uh, <laughs> is from Go Long or Go Home. Can you please tell me why everyone loves Domino's Pizza? In brackets, I'm in the business. The pizzas are awful. But your opinion on the pizzas would be welcome as well. <laughs> Close brackets. It seems to be highly leveraged and its expansion is very stretched across the globe in very disparate markets. Fair point. I don't know if you know Domino's that well. I love the pizza when I was younger. Yeah. Like the Uni thin budget. crust pepperoni oh, yeah. for a hangover was yeah. exceptional. They put something in it. They, yeah. they know that that's what it's for. So. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no one else eats it for any purpose. <laughs> well, I was um, staying up in Wangaratta not yeah. so long ago. Um, there's only about two or three options there yeah and no one does delivery it's except Domino's yeah, yeah. Uh, it is Wangarat is a regional town in Victoria by the way uh, and to be honest I hadn't had it since at school and at the time it looked like like the dog pallets on a crust and I was like this is terrible but then had it the other day and I thought this is actually pretty good like, the quality is consistent um, and they do well you know um, so it was actually down at the time of recording, which is the 3rd of November, uh, Thursday, Domino's had actually fallen 10% because um, they expect for the full year of FY23, same-store st- sales down 1%. 
uh, and they expect network sales down 1.8%. So the business model is probably where I should start with this. Domino's is like a master franchise. Yeah. yeah. It Basically, it sits between who owns individual stores and runs individual stores and the, the mothership in the US, which is Domino's Pizza Inc. Um, that business, the Domino's Pizza Inc. started in the 70s. A really interesting business. The only market where they seem to have failed is Italy, which yeah. you'd probably expect. <laughs> so, uh, taking Domino's Pizza to Italy is always... Yeah, but th- this one is the biggest one outside the US mothership. And it's run by a guy called Don May. And he's just this, this brilliant, brilliant um, focus on the business. What matters? I think he started as a pizza delivery guy. Yeah, too. I'm pretty sure. One yeah. of those success stories of yeah. working your way up. And now I just looked at, there was a, an announcement out today that actually showed that they renegotiated his contract and um, <laughs> he'd be making more than <laughs> dozens of franchises put together uh, in revenue. He'd be making that. Uh, so uh, good on him. Like he's done so, he's created so much value with yeah. the Domino's brand. And to be honest, yes, the business had a, has a lot of leverage. Um, yes, the business, it's not that glamorous but uh, it chalks out the free cash flow for 100 i calculated as a rough 148 million dollars of free cash flow yeah i not- saw roe is like why do people like it the roe is 46 percent yeah. or 38 percent this year scale massively scalable business yeah um that yeah they've got a few lease liabilities and debt which isn't captured on the roe measure but um they've managed that for a very long time they did come out with a few quotes, which I thought I'd just mention. Domino's anticipates inflationary headwinds to continue into 2023 calendar year, primarily the raw ingredients, energy prices in Europe, and labor costs in some markets, which makes sense. Uh, and then they did actually say that Domino's expects to deliver full-year net profit growth, excluding the 7 million FX headwinds. And the big one is probably the most important. Domino's Pizza... Three to five year outlook remains unchanged. This is the challenge of being a listed company, though. That the reason they keep expanding is because markets demand growth. Yeah, and you have to find True. new markets to find new growth. They're struggling on their same stores, so that means all the same stores open. They're not growing the revenue from those stores. Yeah. So they're trying to grow by opening more stores, but without the challenge in Australia was that they were getting close to uh, flooding or yeah. Um, Overcovering the market. Just kind of at maturity, isn't it? If you look at the, what I thought was amazing in like an eyebrow raising way is um, the the analysts covering this business, the forecasts are still so aggressive. Like when I say aggressive, they're just very, very con- strong is basically what they're saying. If yeah. you just took a line from 2012 to 2022, they're basically drawing that again up for to the, the top yeah. right for the next five years. Which to most people doesn't make sense. Yeah. And... I think that just, like you said, comes down to store openings, expansion. They think they can do a bit with pricing and that sort of stuff. So, um, so even when a small underperformance or small comment reduces the stock price by ten percent, yeah, because of those expectations. Absolutely. Uh, the I guess the the thing about Domino's is it's been an exceptional business for a very long time, and you don't often get an opportunity to buy really good businesses on the ASX for below, even below average prices. They're almost always above average, it seems. Um, I think maybe this is a time to chuck it on your watch list. Uh, at least if you, and if you're looking at it, maybe put it side by side with the US business. DPZ is the ticker symbol. 
put it side by side. See which one you prefer more. You know, you don't have to choose um, the, the Australian version just because it's here. And there's a, there's a few to choose from. And I think they're masters of the franchise. So, um, yeah, it's got like lease reliability. It's got some debt. Good free cash flow. Uh, growing pretty well. So that's what I've got to say for, for that. Next one. I had a question from Andrew Derrimuth. Andrew Derrimuth. Yes. Directly to Owen. Uh, was was EML payments still oh. in your portfolio and what's happening there this week? Uh, no, it's not actually. Um, we PA, personal account. Oh, personal. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, issued a sell alert a little while ago. EML is one of those thorns in my side. Um, and EML... I guess the the long and the short of it is still undergoing its review. So we should know more about what is happening with Emma Shand, who's the new CEO. Uh, she took the, I think it was in July. I felt I 30 of them went up 30 in the next day. It was the it's, craziest thing I've seen in two days. Oh, yeah. And I felt, I think one time it fell 40% yeah. in one day. So this is a business that has scaled into complexity and it's, it probably needs, well, it does need, it's that whole thing, you know, you get the business, you scale it up, one CEO scales it up, another one comes in to try and clean it up a bit. And for, yeah, EML payments, it's just, it's caught between a rock and a hard place with regulatory action and trying to scale. And how patient you can be, essentially. Yeah. And in the meantime, what happens, it's a really un- uncertain one and uh, really high risk, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it was... It's been probably the most volatile of all. Yeah. Yeah, that we've ever recommended. So, um, yeah. That's it. Is that, did I answer your question? I think so. <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> it was more that uh, it's been it, it, yeah, dropping 30% one day and then going up 30% the next. Yeah, I just pulled it's up. kind the, of who's my, buying, who's selling. My most um, recent update, and it was um, my most recent update was it fell 19%. <laughs> There's something, and that kind of shows what happens in some of those stocks where big investors are flooding in and out yeah. daily basis and shifting volume massively, but the inherent value of the business probably doesn't change. Yeah, I mean, it's bolted on so many things. There's been money laundering concerns from some of its acquisitions and so on and so forth, which you do get with these businesses. I actually did a, back at the end of July, I did a pros and cons list. So on the pros, I had... Is it cheap? If you look by historical standards, growth rates, and what the company is saying, it looks very cheap because yeah. it also benefits from higher rates. Yeah, yeah. Higher rates go. It's got a cash f- on the float. Sheet. It's got heaps of yeah. cash on the balance sheet. Um, it's got sticky revenue because it's all working with fintechs. Recurring revenue. Um, it's got a good new CEO, but we don't know much about her just yet. Uh, and it's cash flow positive according to financials. Now, if we go to the cons list, just slightly longer, the Central Bank of Ireland investigation is still ongoing. The shock CEO resignation with little explanation. There was an, a LinkedIn post. Diatribe? What does that Maybe mean? Maybe not a diatribe. No. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, wasn't it? Uh, I believe it means like a, almost an emotional outpouring of oh. why someone left. <laughs> okay. Or, uh, <laughs> Should have seen uh, Drew's hand just as it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm just releasing this. <laughs> um, so board quality. Uh, was pro- it's probably fair to say it's pretty low because the it's been poor disclosure. Uh, it's a very complex business. Employee churn is around 15%. Huge when you think about it. It's not truly profitable, even though the cash flow looks pretty good. Um, it's acquired lots of growth. Did it need to expand to Europe? Um, I mean, they're 
a few other things you can go on that list. As you can see, the cons list is quite long. I think the challenge is when you raise capital, people want you to do something with that capital, not just run your business. And Absolutely. Then you have to, that's why people acquire and they keep acquiring. Unless you do a dubber and then you don't, you're quiet. You, <laughs> valuation's too low. That valuation's too high. Don't want to acquire. Valuation's too low. We're going to hold off. <laughs> anyway, how do we get to the <laughs> Sorry. All roads lead to double. That was supposed to be a fun <laughs> question. You, you even missed my... my, my uh, my fake name. Yeah, well, I was Googling that when you... I, I don't know. What is it? Andrew Derrimer? I just switched Drew for Meredith and... <laughs> to, <laughs> did you really? Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. I did see. Uh, I completely missed it. <laughs> I actually Googled so, it. Props to me. Props yeah, to well me. done. That's a point in your, in your column. Okay, so next question. Um, geez, that was... It's like a walk through the cemetery, that one. I'll tell you what. Um, so... Next question is on the silver donut, a.k.a. Macquarie. Call me anytime, winky face. <laughs> G'day, gang. First half Macquarie Group <laughs> report is out. What do we think? Any particular points of interest you picked up? Did you look at this? Yeah, um, Macquarie is part of our model. Okay. Love Macquarie. Man- managed to buy it in the middle of the pandemic at a super cheap price. One of those stocks that's on your watch list. <laughs> That smile. <laughs> you know, when you put stocks on your watch list, you always think they're too expensive. CSL was one. Yep. Macquarie was one. Seek was one. We happened to get Seek and Macquarie at the same time. Um, I mean, exceptional report, but the CEO, Shamara uh, Wickmara Singhi. <laughs> I'm so glad you tried to pronounce that. <laughs> I wasn't going to try. Pretty sure I got close. Uh, is always super conservative. She's always yeah. big on not overstepping expectations. But like the result, 13% increase in profit. Banking business profit up 25, net interest income up 25%, 48% growth in their capital markets business, which is essentially hedging energy prices is a big part yeah. of that at the moment. Commodities, yeah. Even asset management was up 20%, 28%. So that sort of growth you don't see yeah. in, in most businesses at the moment. Let alone one of this size. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Superstar CEO. Yeah. Um, if you're listening, please uh, come on the show. <laughs> So, yeah, Macquarie is one of the biggest, the top 50 asset managers in the world. Big uh, player in infrastructure and property management. And green, yeah. massive player in green, funding renewable energy projects, green energy. Yeah. The big shift happened for uh, Macquarie during the GFC. It got smoked. If you just look at the share price, that will tell a story. Um, it went from investment banking making up the bulk of earnings to what they call annuity-style businesses now, which is ironic because we just talked about the capital business being in hedging and energy prices, yeah. which is yeah, the opposite of that right now. But um, yeah, the the things, Macquarie, is, they call it a millionaire factory because it attracts great talent and it retains great talent and they do good things while they're there. They make a lot of money. Yeah. They're incentivized in the right way. So yeah, uh, really impressive business. I think there's many different ways you can value it, but if you just want a rule of thumb for this, because it is so complex, one of the... Con- concerns from analysts is that they do this they do that they do this they do that what like how do you apply a model to this business and i think the way i would probably look at this business is i just take it as a whole and say what has it done historically what is it capable of doing there's huge huge opportunity in each of its various segments but it's grown it's been profitable i think for over 50 years it's paid dividend for so many years yeah so you can basically value it on that accord you could basically value value it on its dividend yield and you can just look at the over time and macquarie shares even though they've done pretty well recently are probably still 
at fair value or below fair value if you just take a very thumbsuck approach to it. I don't think they're pricing in the amount of growth they've got to come either. Yeah. I mean, the people are obviously wary of pricing in the money they've made on risk management foreign exchange, which has been incredibly volatile with what's yeah. happened in UK and Ukraine. But the boring banking business is dominating. Yeah, they're winning market share. I'm, I bank with Macquarie. My loans with Macquarie. Mm. Easy, like they don't have branches, but they're probably the easiest bank I've ever dealt with. Yeah, they're uh, about five percent market share off the top of my head from of home loans here in Australia. Yeah, which has come from basically nothing. So, uh, yeah, it's really impressive business. They're also dominating in the platform space. Yeah, um, wealth management as well, because they survived. The, I think we've talked about this. Survived the. Royal Commission relatively unscathed. Have you heard of their true index yeah, you, strategy? We haven't talked about this on the podcast though. Yeah. You've talked to me about this. Why don't you give us a one <laughs> minute elevator pitch on this? Because this is fascinating, by the way. So, uh, as my business partner says it, the advi- uh, sorry, investment is one of the only industries where you can get beta or the market return for free. Yep. Macquarie essentially offer that, the market return for free, via their true index products. So, they charge no management fee. Mm-hmm. But you're essentially, what's the best way to explain it? You're taking the corporate risk that Macquarie will, one, use the capital that you're investing to deliver that return Mm -hmm. uh, and then make up any difference if they underperform the benchmark. So they basically say to you, hey, Drew, we'll guarantee what the ASX 200 does. Yep. And if we do worse, it's on us. If we do better, we keep it. Yeah, basically, and we do it for, we basically do it for no basis points. Exactly, and they yeah. might lend the stock out, or they might trade it internally, whatever it happens to be. But yeah. you'll always get the index return, hmm. and it's guaranteed by the solvency of Macquarie, yep. or a portion of Macquarie. Um, have you used that before? We have, and we're we're doing a bit more analysis of it at, at the moment to consider it as the core of our portfolios. If you think costs matter. And if you can get this at zero and everything else is at 15, as long as you're comfortable with the risk, the the perceived risk associated with it, hmm. then it makes sense. Does it, is it just Aussie or do they do everything? Aussie international fixed income. They'll do pretty much every market, every main benchmark. Obviously, you don't want to go into smaller benchmarks because it's more expensive to yeah. have have that stock um, and more and less liquid. So it's biggest benchmarks generally. So- this is interesting because, and as you're researching this evolves, let us know because a lot of people will be interested in how this, basically what goes on the other side of the table, what, like what happens. So like are they, like are they like lending? Are they One, is it, does it does it matter? Well, true. Does it matter? <laughs> That's a good question. You've heard, I, I feel like I need to get confident with it because you know, I just need to know. But it If could, your pension fund's lending stock, do you care? Well, this is the thing. This is a whole good. This is a whole podcast. <laughs> if your itself. index funds lending, stock, well, this do is you the thing. Care? Vanguard does it. Like Vanguard does it, and they just how reinvest do, the profits back into lowering your fees. So how do we think probably doesn't and doesn't do that? How do we think you get such a low fee for an index product? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, you want to have some surety around the guarantee of the solvency of the counterparty, which is key. So that's usually backed by an uh, like annuity style. Mm. Asset based, where exactly. they'll have to hold a certain amount of capital to offset that and be able to top up any any gain, any any losses. Mm. But the performance, every performance report shows exactly the same return as the index. Did they do this? I, wonder if they, they, I guess they'd do this overseas somewhere. Like once everyone, they, a lot of them. Yeah. True uh, direct indexing, I know, is quite popular overseas, less yeah. so than 
true, I think, but this is incredibly popular on platforms in the US as well. Huh. Okay, cool. Uh, Chris from Heaven on Earth. Did I make that up? Chris from Heaven's on Earth, Heaven on Earth wants an overview of Smart Pay versus Block. Um, yeah, so I think I mentioned this. I think this question came through um, via the social media. Oh, no, yeah, Chris. I know what you're talking about. Um, so, uh, Smart Pay versus Square slash Block. Um, so, Block changed its name from Square to Block. Uh, and <laughs> the code's still Square. Yeah, it's still SQ on the... I think it's on the NAS, uh, the New York Stock Exchange. In Australia, it's SQ2. They got that ticker symbol after they acquired Afterpay. <laughs> and so, so wait, basically what happened, let's start with Square then. Uh, shares are down 60%, 67% this year, 78% year over year. The market cap of Square slash Block is $32 billion. They bought Afterpay for $29 billion based on the script at the time. So... You could either say that it's great capital allocation because they had a frothy share price and they used that to buy another frothy share price. <laughs> but, but I don't know. Like I feel like Afterpay probably would have been down more than Block would have been. So I don't necessarily say. Every other buy now play later is down, what, 90%? Yeah. Zip, how's that going? So 36 down to... Th- <laughs> Thanks. All right. I got you on one. You get down the other. So that's... A- <laughs> so technically they... It's worth three billion if you think about it that way. Three, maybe four billion. <laughs> was that was that legit? What zips down? I think it's ninety percent from wow. the top. From the top, not when I bought it. Okay, yeah. Only seventy-five from where I bought it. <laughs> Holy moly! It's down eighty-nine point nine percent over a year. Couldn't get much closer than that, could you? Wow. Okay, so yeah. If you assumed it's a different business model, but if you assume that, you'd think Afterpay's down. Yeah, it'd be worth. In the single-digit billions. Well, given how much more Afterpay is used and how much bigger they are, you'd have to think that they'd be going through as much pain as Zip is at the moment. Yeah. it's But Zip did do a pretty aggressive acquisition binge, whereas Afterpay didn't do that as much. They mainly focus on Oz, US, UK. Um, so anyways, Square, Block, their business model is divided into a few different buckets. Ignore the Bitcoin revenue. That stuff's kind of crazy. It's on no margin. I don't even know why they offer it, to be honest. Uh, then they've got the Cash App, which is an app that's like a super app in the United States. You can do everything that you get your paycheck into it. And they make money on the money going into the Cash App. And then once it's in the ecosystem, it's basically free, kind of like Venmo peer-to-peer. Um, Block is facing a huge number of risks. And well, this is this is the like the narrative the market is saying right now. Buy now, pay later is done. The recession app is going to affect the Cash App a recession is going to affect the cash app because uh, the cash app typically targets lower socioeconomic. Um, retailers, which is where they do their terminals, is under pressure because of the recession. Uh, and Bitcoin is a bit of a bizarre thing that they've done. So all of these things are against it. Yeah. Now, I tend to think if they can survive this, I think it's going to be a really interesting business on the other side. And I think they are going to survive it. If that's dramatic. <laughs> they, like, they're fine. Um, it, it pays a lot in stock-based compensation, which is something that I've always struggled to get my head around. But they've, in recent years, if you go to any cafe, even now I'm seeing them move into more retail stores. I think I mentioned this. Yeah. They're doing more of that. And that is reflected in their gross profit. You can see the uplift. Uh, it's it's working really well. So I would just say that the move with Afterpay has been tough. They need to make it work in a big way. 
But I think if you think of businesses where everything is thrown at them and they still get through, that's probably when they're most interesting. It's probably why tech companies stay private for longer too. Yeah. And if to you think be, about it. This is probably one of those businesses, to be honest. Like, yeah. It's, um, if it was a private company, you really wouldn't care. Yeah. You, yeah. It, the, the majority of revenue and gross profit, sorry, is still in the US at over 80%. Yeah. So the fear is US recession, lending, unsecured, lo- like micro loans, like what's going to happen to this thing? Yeah. It'd be a really trying time. But I think if you're looking for a seriously contrarian bet, put it on your watch list and do some digging. Um, I like it. Yeah. Smart Pay is the other business that's a Kiwi company listed in Australia and on the uh, New, York, uh, New Zealand Stock Exchange. So it is 100% focused on surcharging. When you tap your card, they just automatically surcharge. More terminals are doing this now. Share price is down 5% year over year. Um, and they issued a trading update recently uh, with they installed a record number of terminals. The average revenue per terminal was up. Uh, gross margin was up. Churn was in line with recent periods. Total transaction volume was up 145% year over year. The, this was just a trading update. So they said they've increased sales and marketing. And the share price fell? Share price, yeah, but then it popped, I think. Um, but increased sales and marketing, which is the thing we don't know. They should be coming out with their results later this month in November. And by the way, we ran a risk of talking about Square and Block because they're coming out today. In- <laughs> in the US so 20 like I said less than 24 hours it's been- well there you go hopefully uh, yeah don't <laughs> so we'll, know, we'll have post-mortem uh, on social media maybe but with smart pay I think it's going to move aggressively to free cash flow generation it's done all the spending it's paid back it's convertible notes the and Claude Walker from A Rich Life will no, no doubt be happy that I say this the terminal value of these payment companies are unknown we just don't know what smart pay will be worth in five years so when yeah. you're modeling it's very very hard to do so you want to buy it cheap Maybe it's one of those where you be there for a good time, not necessarily a long time. Yep. Did you want me to dive into the Indian restaurant? <laughs> okay. It's worth a try. Or I could ask you why the uh, after the most challenging quarter in history, did we just have I, the strongest October, um, oh. the top five strongest Octobers we've ever seen? Top five stro- strongest Octobers. Octobers, and this is, Octobers you know, are very good months. Octobers usually the worst. It's when very good people are born. Was <laughs> um, <laughs> it your birthday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's that. just heat under the radar there. Uh, you don't want to celebrate when you get over thirty. Um, I'm so, having a big forty this year, <laughs> oh, so I oh, disagree yeah, with that. <laughs> well, that's different because industry you you're having drinks for a different reason. Don't say midlife crisis. <laughs> um, okay, so well, stock market's forward looking. That's, that's your answer. What's yours? Yeah. I agree, partially. And they're forward-looking, but why are they forward-looking and what are they looking forward to at the moment is my follow-up question. Well, it, the, I think in the US, the the market didn't do that well in October, from memory, did it? Dow was at 14.4%. Was it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought it was just the Aussie market. Now, so, yeah, so market's forward-looking. I would say that here in Australia, inflation was the thing. Um, people maybe are trying to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel there. Looking through the interest rate cycle, which yeah. kind of, we're kind of picking up on that. Yeah, because the neutral rate of interest is people think that we're kind of there. Yeah. So what happens from here is just the kind of restrictive measures yeah. on monetary policy. So if you think that we're going to say 3.5% interest rates or at 285 already, we're most of the way there. Yeah. That's the basic idea. Am I, that's what I'm thinking. I think so. I mean, we, we, as early as Tuesday morning, one of the banks came out and said they expected 50 basis point hike. Right. And then it was 25. 
two hours later. So it's very mm. difficult for people to predict exactly what's going to happen. Mm. Um, I think one, your earning season was better than expected unless you're a big tech company in the US. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, and I think people are starting to realize maybe the economy will, won't be as bad next year. And yeah, we've seen the end of interest rate hikes because you, the, the, the question is how much of the pain have we seen of interest rate hikes? And I'd say none yet. Yeah, that's the thing. In the US, I think you wrote about this recently. In the US, it will take longer because there's a lot of really long fixed terms. Yeah. Whereas here, um, in ninety eight percent. Yeah, yeah, it's different, right? Um, so, yeah, we're probably going to feel the pinch pretty quick. Like one more is up over a thousand bucks. Yep. Yeah. It's not that big either. I'm not living in Sydney, <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. Um, interesting thing that happened also on Tuesday, in addition to an interest rate rise. Uh, we had the, the Melbourne Cup, uh, and one thing was interesting, TV ratings way down. Second thing was um, Nick Nicolades from Perla shared a tweet uh, of national exuberance, a note on the Melbourne Cup effect on the Australian stock market returns. And basically, they, they, they had this, this is the takeaway from this abstract uh, from the University of Wollongong. They did this study to study how well does the stock market perform on this day. This, the results suggest the exuberance associated with Australia's unofficial national day is translated into irrationally positive market behaviour. <laughs> That's what they found. I tried to write the daily after Tuesday and there was nothing, nothing to write about. Yeah, right. Well, it, but it went up. No news, but and it went Obviously, up. we had an interest yeah. rate decision this, this week. But I just think <laughs> two or three analysts were, were or bro- brokers were just trading. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's um, yeah. I guess it's the the punting spirit. Yeah, playing out over on the stock market. Well, I could put a hundred bucks on the horses, or I could chuck it over here. Um, interesting stuff. Okay, next question. Uh, this is a very long question from Jamie. Um, help. Where do we find business advisors we can trust? Not just any old advisor, but those who really know their stuff. Um, and it talks about how, like, where basically how you can find someone that can give good advice and this type of stuff. Yeah, incredibly difficult. Um, something we do a little bit of, and a lot of it falls into the realm of financial advisors, but it's more than just financial advice. Yeah, I think you're you're generally going to need a a team, not fifty people, but yeah. a couple of experts from different fields to assist you in this sort of thing. Mm. What we tend to see is that the accountant is usually the closest to a business, but the accountant is generally a suburban accountant or accountant fine with tax returns, but as a business scales and gets bigger, the business almost outgrows the accountant and it's yeah. replacing that person is a difficult, a very difficult uh, decision, both emotionally or mainly emotionally. Uh, but the starting point is a- accountant, business advice, financial advice. You probably need some legal and taxation advice for these sort of things as well. I know quite a few advisory firms that almost assist in building the this network of people to help each business. Yeah, right. And the advice is different that you need for each, depending on the personality of your parents. Um, the, yeah. the type of person you need can be very different. It probably pay to find a financial advisor that runs their own business. Yeah, to be honest, that probably really helps in this regard. But and well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one that's running yeah. it out of business. Um, so where would you find these people? You'd have, you'd say, you would just start for someone to give you advice on your business, like proper advice on a family business, particularly with succession planning. Would you want that person to be a financial advisor? Yes, 
general, uh, with I mean, there's a big spectrum of financial advisors. There's advisors that only do insurance, that only do investments. So you need someone that's got broader experience with dealing with business sales. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, I don't. It's not as easy as googling. A lot of it's going to be referral. Yeah. Um, family business has been, or I've, we've been a member of the Family Business Association. Yeah. They've been all right, but it's almost uh, talking to some of the me, the larger accounting firms. And then trying to find similar businesses around you and asking them, um, doing it that way almost. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's yeah. It's a tricky one, uh, and maybe just reach out to a few financial advisors and go from there. And one person can't do everything. Is probably the yeah. One there. Test drive, see what they think, uh, and just you know play them off against each other as well. Just try and get, understand their strengths uh, in this. So uh, it's in a similar vein. I'm getting a lot of questions on this lately, Drew. Uh, Brendan Buffett. Or buffet asks um, breezy Brandon from Twitter. A bit of an obscure investment into an Indian restaurant. I'd love to know more about how you can effectively value a private business. Maybe a thought for a future episode. Well, you've bought a few private businesses. I do animal stuff. You can figure <laughs> this out. So, uh, how would you th- just generally, I guess, think about a private business, say like an Indian restaurant? Earnings. Uh, so you, this is a type of business never going to sell on revenue, on a revenue multiple. Yeah. So what are the earnings of this business and what's the profit? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, one of the big things that you have to do when you're selling a business is you'll you'll pull, pull back or push back costs that associated with you personally or yeah. your your own pay. Um, and the I mean the easiest way is there'd be a lot of business brokers who would be dealing with these type of transactions all the time. Mm. They would have an idea of the type of multiple, so four, two, three, four times earnings multiple that you yeah. might be able to expect, and even advice on how you can improve your business. At the same time, yeah. So a lot of these businesses, Brendan, they um, they, as Drew just said, they pull back on things to make their earnings look good. A year out from the time that they want to sell. Yeah. So you need to understand what is the sustainability, like the sustainability of those costs are uh, going forward. It's like a miniature private equity fund is who you're buying from. And due diligence will will look at that as well. Yeah, and speak to the business advisors. You can actually the brokers are a pretty good source actually. They exist. You can find them on websites like Seek Commercial, which is um, a website that's like Seek, but it's built to just buy private businesses. There's a lot of junk on there, but there's some good businesses. The other thing that I would be just really mindful of is you can do your valuation similar to how you'd value any company on the stock exchange. You'd look at the cash flows and debt and all that sort of stuff, and the contracts is where it probably gets a bit more uh, finicky. You need to make sure that you look at the key contracts and leases and those types of things. But one final thing that I'll mention is in a private business, particularly something like an Indian restaurant, unless you want to be working most nights of the week or you have some sort of skill in cooking Indian food, make sure that uh, you understand the costs associated with finding someone to run it. Because if they're a family-run business at the moment, there's going to be costs on that P&L that are not reflected in the actual business. So keep that in mind, mate. A lot Um, of these businesses are better to just keep running. A bar, for instance, Yeah. that you're never going to get the multiple earnings compared to yeah. What you can extract from it in dividends. Yeah, just let it run, basically. Make sure it's cash flow uh, positive. And if you aren't running it yourself, make sure you find the right way to incentivize someone, whether that's through some type of tiny revenue share or something like that. Um, these things can trust, trust me, someone who's run their own business and runs their own business, 
they can be a black hole for your time. Okay, I've got a few more questions here. One comes from Wayne for you, Drew. Wayne says, why not just invest in VDHG and forget the rest? Sure. Sure. That's good. Let's <laughs> put that down. Sure. Got it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the question here is what stage of your investment journey are you in uh, and what are you seeking to achieve, I think is the broader question. What's your risk profile? Uh, that's a boring one, uh, but obviously very important. Give I think, something more spicy. <laughs> I think the big one here is is a fully invested in all asset classes in strategy and all matching the benchmark, so you're always going to get the average. Is that appropriate for someone who is drawing down on that capital all the time? Mm. Um, maybe it is, but if you're holding that at the moment and that portfolio is down 15%, mm-hmm. there's a risk that you make a poor decision and sell into move into something else. That's kind of why you'd start to introduce other asset classes like active management to try and dampen the volatility and hopefully reduce the risk of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, VDHT, by the way, guys, is the Vanguard Diversified High Growth ETF. It's 90% growth assets and 10% defensive assets like bonds. Yeah, it's a great starting base, I'd say. It's uh, If you're starting out, fantastic to use the, the pre-made diversified funds. Um, and this is not specific to you, obviously, I'm just saying in general. It's 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 a, They're great products for people that want to take away the complexity of it. I find that a lot of our members in particular won't go for a diversified option like this because there are some limitations to it. One, they want to be a bit more hands-on and they want to control things, as Drew was just saying. But the other thing is... There are also also some things like tax drag that comes with that come with these funds. Um, so the Vanguard funds are built of inside of them. There's other managed there's managed funds inside of the ETF. Yeah, and so they can be sometimes an ineffective vehicle for a tax perspective. Whereas the beta shares funds are ETFs inside of the ETF, which is a little bit better from a tax perspective. But then there's also things like sequencing, as Drew just men- mentioned. This is a 90-10 portfolio. What happens when you get from 55 to 60 and you want to dial that back in a yeah. big way? You're um, making an active decision to buy a strategic asset allocation of 90-10. Yeah. And so, Wayne, I think if most of Australia just thought, I'll just buy a Vanguard diversified fund, I think we'd all be better for it, to be honest. But at the same time, it does. it's not perfect for everyone. So just yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, we've got some conversations coming up and we've just had someone different asset classes that, for example, aren't on the stock exchange. They're not p- public companies. So if you wanted exposure to those things, for sure. Um, I'm a big advocate of the Vanguard diversified funds for for beginners and people that frankly have other things to do, but they're not for everyone. Glenn Dollar Sign says, G'day team. This is a, speaking of spicy one, um, Glenn Dollar Sign, uh, G'day team. Africa, exclamation marks. If local issues stifle their amazing potential for economic growth, uh, I believe China's interest in the region will prove the concept and get the ball rolling regardless. Are there any reputable Australian ETFs which invest in Africa? No. 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 I'm playing a very long game of 20 plus years and just wanted to cover the basics like Africa's big banks. No. I don't know of any. There, there aren't. I, I said uh, I feel like Africa's been a graveyard for people investing from Australia, a yeah. lot of it's been mining driven. Uh, very, I mean, we you think about the ESG side of it, and is the regulatory system in a lot of these countries strong enough in terms of property rights to warrant allocating capital? Yeah. And you probably think, no, no. Are there companies in Australia that are operating or US operating? And that's probably where, if you're going to do it, you try and do it that way. 
yeah, one of the things that I like is property rights. And um, it's just hard. Uh, It's really hard. There's a lot of speculative miners that operate in the region. There is a company called Naspers, which if I'm not mistaken... Owns Tencent or used to own Tencent. Yeah. And that is an interesting combination there. That's South African business. Uh, Really interesting. So Naspers is the, the name of that. I'm sure... This is captured. I'm sure Africa is some in somehow captured in some emerging markets. Maybe South Africa is. They got a. They'd have a frontier. Yeah, they have uh, a frontier allocation. Yeah. Five to ten percent in frontier markets. Yeah. So frontier is below in terms or above in terms of risk. That's above emerging markets. Then you've got yeah. obviously developed markets and developing markets. Um, yeah. It's sorry we don't have an answer for you. Dollar sign here. Um, We've spoken a lot about the the risks that uh, inherit in some emerging markets, in particular. So, uh, hope if you do find something, let us know because we <laughs> we would love to know. I'm sure there are some unlisted funds, but we don't know of any. Uh, final question comes from Leighton. I hope this is a play on Leighton Holdings, the old uh, listed company, but I don't think it is. Leighton, great name, could be a tennis player. I first got into BBUS, that's BBUS, that's a tick symbol, just before COVID hit but then didn't get out quick enough for the bull run that followed. And I was way over-invested and watched my holding tumble. Since then, I've been trading in and out of BBUS and GGUS, and it's been working really well. And I've been making very strong profits. Is there a name for this? Trading against yourself with a portion of red and black at the same time. Powerball. <laughs> what a punchline. You've obviously had time to prepare this. I actually didn't have that written down. <laughs> But it seemed to make sense. Someone won $40 million from Powerball last week. Four people won $40 million, So Is that right? Um, I also held Bebus or Gear. No, one of the negative ones, the Bear. Bear. Yeah, Bebos. Yeah, which is less leverage, I think, than this one. Uh, I just see it as close as you can get to gambling on the stock market, but you're doing leveraged gambling. Yeah. Um, I'd suggest luck won't continue. Uh, like it did originally, and it probably just reiterates that this is a trading strategy. Yep. And you, whenever you do something like this, you need to have rules around probably more about when you lost money at the beginning. Uh, when do you exit? Yeah, I yeah, and hopefully you're holding other things, not just this. Yeah, like the reason I added a bare position was because I was fully invested in equities in the rest of my portfolio, so I was comfortable with that hedge, reducing the risk. I'm not comfortable anymore. Yeah, B bus and G gus. I think they're the they're both strong. They're geared. G gus is the geared U.S. equity fund, hedged, and B bus is the strong bear hedge yeah. fund. Okay, yeah, currency hedge. Okay, yeah. So basically, there is a word for this, and it's called market neutral. <laughs> it <laughs> if is you're holding both. If you're holding both at the same time, if you have a portfolio of fifty fifty. It's you're basically betting against yourself and paying four percent or something. Yeah, but you'd be paying a, a, a ton of fees to beta shares for the right to get this exposure. I think he's trading into one and kind of time in the market. So buying it when he thinks he's going to selling this one when he thinks it's going to fall, buying this one when he thinks it's going to win. Right. Yeah. Well, I can I mean, imagine I'm trading not... costs, buy sell spread. I'd yeah. probably just go long equities. Well, I would. After many years of looking at these things, like Niva. It's just come back. It's just getting simpler and simpler, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen these happen before. And the key thing with these types of funds, these are very, very risky funds. The key thing with these funds is that they are very short-term, which I think you've mentioned here being trading-focused. Some people think that they can always have a little bit of one of these funds in their portfolio as insurance. It's not the way they work. 
because the way the, the contracts roll over for the um, derivatives is that you end up just losing, like the funds have very poor tracking error. So I would just say it's like a switch on, switch off type situation. Um, for anyone listening to this that, don't, that doesn't know what these funds are, don't worry, you're not missing out on much. To be honest, like most long-term wealth creation is created by sensible long-term investing in simple companies and ETFs, not by uh, these types of vehicles. But I think for what they do, as you said, against an established portfolio, they're, they're a tool. People might use it because they've got massive capital gains. They don't want to sell CSL and CBA, so they buy the True. reverse benchmark and try to protect if they think the market's going to fall. In the United States, uh, there is a an inverse ETF for basically everything. So uh, Jim, a Kramer ETF too. <laughs> Kramer, inverse Kramer. Um, poor guy, he wasn't happy about one of the companies the other day on the TV. I can't remember which one it was, but um, yeah, it's it's a risky thing. I would say if you leave one of these positions open for too long, like let's say you go to the bathroom, you drop your toilet in the dunny, or you drop your <laughs> you drop your phone in the dunny, and then you can't access your brokerage account for a few days. Uh, you can you can get hurt really bad. So. That's why I don't really talk about them too much on the show, to be honest. Uh, is that? I think that's all the questions, unless you've got a few curly ones. Yeah, that Andrew Derrimuth has written in again. <laughs> Derrimuth, here we go. Did you have a look at the Amcor report? Oh, Derrimuth. <laughs> Time to get lost. <laughs> now, uh, so I did not. He's I always did... walking up to my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Writing stuff on your whiteboard. Uh, so Drew's alter ego. Uh, no, I did not. So what, do you wanna, what, what, what did you want to cover with Amcor, mate? No, I think the stock got uh, hit hit pretty hard. Everything else went up on Monday and got hit pretty hard. But there was a pretty interesting takeaway in there, which was that, uh, Ooh, yeah. and I think everyone's raising this more regularly now, which is that the company reported they passed on $400 million, US $400 million, so $640 million Aussie, in costs to their um, buyers or their customers. Yeah. So it's the pass-through. Essentially, they're trying to protect profit margin by passing on the higher cost of input. For them, it's things like plastic and all the inputs resin into yeah. all the products they're making. So it's kind of you're seeing this trend at the moment where then there's growing pressure in media. You probably talked about it as well, where the profit margins are going up, but everyone's worried about wages going up. Yeah. Not sure. And you've got this very strained relationship, it yeah. seems, at the moment. Yeah. Well, profits have been holding up, right? And if wages keep ratchet up that's the next leg in inflation and that's where we get interest rates going up more yeah yep. and that's what everyone's concerned about just so you know amcor um it's a packaging company yep. just in case you don't know what it does paper Tra- mill in elfington yep <laughs> yes used to be where i drive every day uh ticker symbol amc on the asx it's global business though global business i don't know much about it to be honest uh i've followed it on and off over the years and it's been an exceptional performer so i should probably know more about it yeah uh and that's about it is it in your models no it's not yeah, right. Of the companies that we've mentioned today, just isn't could put you on the spot. Which businesses are in the models? You've got Macquarie. Macquarie, yes. Uh, did Domino's? No. Uh, do you have, I'm guessing Dubber and EML aren't in there. Uh, SmartPay, We're Square. pretty boring. I mean, some of those companies we might have exposure to through a niche fund that we use, but our core model is very, very boring. VDHG? No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Pretty boring. Well, that's that's um, that's the podcast for today. If you do have any questions, be sure to send them in. Uh, there is, I'll even put the link in the show notes. So you can just click the button straight from your podcast player, submit your question. The 
if you do submit for the Australian Investors Podcast, the funnier the name, the more likely we're going to cover it next week. I'll come up with some more Sudanese <laughs> yeah, for you as well. Some dodgy ones in there. Put me on the spot. Um, geez, I, I still don't know how we ended up with Double, but we did get it in there. Um, poor guys. Uh, I've got a story for you. I'll tell you off here. But, uh, mate, it's always a bit of fun. So, Drew Meredith, Waddle Partners. You can head to waddlepartners.com.au forward slash contact to get in touch with Drew and the team. You'll find me on Twitter at Owen Rask. I'll even put Drew's Twitter handle in the show. I might look at well. it this week. <laughs> mate, <laughs> now that a, Elon's taken, a, taken uh, over. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. Mate, thanks for joining me. Thanks again. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.